Welcome back to the Interlude Podcast. You are listening to episode 101, a conversation with Marissa Thomas. You may know Marissa as one of the co-founders of For the Breast of Us, the first online inclusive breast cancer community for women of color. Marissa herself was diagnosed with breast cancer in 2015 at the age of 35. And as she went through her diagnosis and her treatment and life after cancer, she really turned to social media to connect with women. However, at the time, there was no dedicated community to for women of color. She then attended the Young Survivors Coalition Summit in 2019, where she connected in person with a woman named Jasmine Sewers after she had interacted with her online on Instagram. And at that meeting, after that connection for The Breast of Us was born, what started as a blog to share breast cancer stories by women of color has turned into an incredible community focusing on advocacy, empowerment, support, education, and so much more. Today, Marissa shares her own story. She talks a lot about how she started. She talks a lot about how For the Breast of Us started, how it has grown, and what's next for the future. She'll share their recently launched podcast called Batty to Batty, which is a fantastic resource. So you'll hear all about it during our conversation. And with that, it is my honor to welcome Marissa Thomas to the Interlude podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Eleanor Toplinski, and I am a board-certified medical oncologist specializing in the treatment of breast and gynecologic cancers. I started the Interlude podcast as a way to share the journeys and experiences of women who are going through cancer. On this podcast, we talk about anything and everything related to the cancer journey, the treatment, and life after cancer. As a reminder, the information discussed on this podcast is not meant to serve as medical advice. Any specific medical questions should be directed to your healthcare team. Hi, Marissa. Thank you so much for joining me. Thanks for having me. Can you start by talking a little bit about your story? And then I want to hear all about For the Breast of Us, how that started, all the work that you're doing, all of that. Sure. I was um, diagnosed in November of 2015 um, at the age of 35 with stage two breast cancer. Um, I was diagnosed probably about three months shy of my 36th birthday. Um, I found my lump myself. Um, I've been pretty active and just knowing, like knowing my body and knowing things are off. Like I'm really good at knowing like when I'm getting ready to get a cold or get sick. Um, and so I, um, was getting out the shower and I was putting lotion on and I felt a lump in my breast and I've never had lumpy breast. And so I work in healthcare. I've been in healthcare for almost about 20 years. So immediately I knew what it was, but just tried to shake it off. And, you know, I remember it was a Saturday. I was getting ready to take my son to his like championship football game. And, you know, it's just like, okay, we'll just kind of dismiss this. And, um, because I work in healthcare, that's kind of given me a little bit of an advantage. So I was able to fast track a lot of things. A lot of the people that I work with and providers were able to get me in faster, which I know is usually not the norm. A lot of people get dismissed, um, especially in the black and brown community. But I would say two weeks before I found my lump, I had actually had my annual physical. And when the doctor was doing my breast exam, she felt something. Um, and then she just dismissed it and said, oh, you know, it's probably nothing. You've been working out a lot, you know, 
and just, and, you know, it was kind of odd for me because again, I've never had lumpy breasts, but I just was like, you know, you're kind of just going along with what it is and don't really want to think what the worst. Um, so yeah, all within a week's time, like I found my lump on a Saturday, had a doctor's appointment that Tuesday, uh, mammogram and ultrasound that Wednesday, and then a biopsy that Friday. And by that following Monday, I was officially diagnosed. Uh, I hear, I hear a lot that the lump was dismissed. And I, I see that in my practice, I hear that with women mm-hmm. that have been on the podcast and I'm curious, and you don't have to answer this, but did you ever go back to that doctor and, and tell her or him what had happened? Uh, kind of, I didn't go back and see her, but I did send her a message to the portal and just said, you know, Hey, I just want to let you know, like I was diagnosed with breast cancer, like that lump that, you know, that you felt actually turned out to be cancer. And, you know, she just apologized and, you know, said that she was sorry to hear that, um, not to give, like make an excuse for her, but she was also on her way out the door. She was retiring too. So, you know, maybe that played a factor or maybe it didn't, but yeah. No, and I think that the more we talk about it, um, you know, is just the importance of advocating for yourself because you could have said, well, my doctor's thought this was nothing and I'm going to just ignore it or put it aside. So I think really the importance of advocacy and knowing that lumps need to be evaluated. Right. And just, you know, knowing your body for sure. That's the Mm -hmm. one thing that I definitely tell people a lot. Like, you know, it's like, you know, your body's like your car, like only you are going to know if something's wrong because nobody else is driving it, but you. So I can tell like my dad all day that like my tires feel bumpy, but he's not driving my car so he can get in my car and ride it. And it's just like, oh, well, it feels fine to me, but I know something's off, you know, it's the same thing about, you know, your own body. If you feel like something is off, then you definitely need to say something and keep saying something until somebody does something about it for you. That's a great analogy. I really like that. (laughs) Uh, So what happened after that? You have the diagnosis, Mm -hmm. you have treatment, I'm sure. I did. So I actually had surgery first. So I had a lumpectomy. Um, I opted for a lumpectomy. My uh, tumor was about four centimeters in size. And both of the providers that I seen said that I should get a mastectomy, but I just couldn't mentally wrap my brain around that. And the only way that I said that I would um, get a mastectomy is if I didn't have to do chemo because I knew what chemo was going to do to my body. But they said, because my cancer was so aggressive, I would still have to do chemo regardless. So I went on ahead and I had a lumpectomy. The breast surgeon that did my lumpectomy actually said, like, when I came out of surgery, she said, I'm glad that you listened to yourself because I was able to get clear margins around your tumor and it hadn't spread to your lymph nodes. So um, did a lumpectomy and then I did chemo. Um, I did AC and then Taxil and then I did radiation. And then I've had um, actually three reconstruction surgeries. And now that you're, you know, a couple of years out from the active treatment part of it, what has that survivorship space been like for you? Um, it's definitely hard. It's hard navigating for sure. Just because, you know, I feel like providers now are starting to get their patients more prepared for that. But when I was diagnosed, you know, almost six years, six, seven years ago, you know, that wasn't a thing. The providers were just solely focused on you know, basically treating you to kill the cancer, not necessarily what comes after that. And so, you know, even now, like I definitely still have chemo brain. Um, There's days where I'm really tired, still have that fatigue. 
Um, and then just the mental part of it, you know, whether that's, you know, making friends with a lot of people within the cancer community and then, you know, sadly, some of them passing away and having to deal with that or, um, you know, just having to navigate your world a whole lot differently, like especially with COVID right now, you know, some of us have, you know, we're immunocompromised. And so, you know, we have to go through things a little bit differently. But I think even just the mental aspect of it, because after I, well, when I was diagnosed, I was really angry going through treatment. And then what I'm noticing from other women is they're even angry afterwards, which I get because it's like, you know, I think when everybody feels like you're done with treatment, you're just supposed to go back to the normal person that Mm -hmm. you were before Mm -hmm. and you can't like, you just, you just can't at all. And so then you're like mourning the person that you were before, but then also trying to adapt to this new person that you are. And it's, it's a really weird space to be in. And I don't think a lot of people understand that part. No, you know, I talk about this a lot and I was talking to someone today about it, how, um, you know, it is starting to become, like you said, a little bit more recognized, but it's still mm-hmm. the priority is always on active treatment. And after, right. you know, a lot of people kind of are made to feel like, okay, well, you're done. You should celebrate. You should be happy. And, and you're not. Right. And one of the things that keeps coming up a lot lately, I mean, there have been a lot of losses in the breast cancer community. Um, mm-hmm. And with social media, I think growing and the community is growing, which is so important, but those losses are really hard. And how do you process them? Yeah. And I think it's even more just, you know, the losses aside, it's just, you know, if you're going through your own survivorship or your own healing, even just logging on each day and hearing people talk about like their side effects or asking questions, like that's just, that's PTSD for you. So you have to like relive it or you have to think like, oh, well, they're having these side effects. Am I going to have it too? And so, you know, it's just a lot. And you know, one of the things that I'm a big champion of, it's just like getting off of social media. Um, You know, like this year, I've actually taken a big stance on my own personal page of that of just like, rarely posting, rarely being on, um, just focusing more so on myself and my well being and not just caught up in what all is going on on social media. And so I'm a big proponent of telling women that and also just letting them know that when you do see, you know, all of these quote unquote breast cancer influencers online, you don't have to be a super advocate like them. You know, you could be behind the scenes. We have, um, for the rest of us have a private Facebook group with close to 3000 women in there. Um, all women of color who have been diagnosed with breast cancer. And one of the women had posted recently this week about how, you know, she felt really bad because she signed up to volunteer to be in this breast cancer fashion show. And then she dropped out at the last minute, but she felt like she was letting them down. But it got her anxiety up about having to be a part of it. And she's like, I just would rather be behind the scenes, but I don't feel like I'm making a difference. And, you know, a lot of people commented on myself and were just like, no, like even being behind the scenes, you're still making a difference. You don't have to be in front of a camera or in front of anything to make a difference. That's, that's so true. And I think that there's this notion also that you have to be public about your diagnosis and you have to right. be sharing and you have to be doing these amazing big things. And I think it's, you don't, you know, you don't have to do any of that. Um, I think taking a step back from social media is huge. And, you know, the other thing too, is if you are struggling and you see people posting that they're thriving, you Mm -hmm. you're happy, you're certainly happy for them, but I think that's a hard pill to swallow as well. Right. Definitely the whole comparison, like, oh, well, if they're thriving and 
you know, even if it's like they're thriving and we were kind of diagnosed at the same time, like, why am I not thriving at the same time? But, you know, everybody's experience is different and just trying to remind everybody of that. And then also back on the social media piece of, you know, I've ran into a couple of women who are like, you know, I'm really private about my diagnosis. I haven't even told a lot of my family and making sure that they don't feel shame about that. Because when I was first diagnosed, I didn't like my, all my social media was private. I didn't tell a lot of people, the people who were my friends on social media, they knew. Um, But I think that was more so just to protect myself. It wasn't really a thing of like, let's just keep this hush hush. It was more so like, let me process it in my own time. And so I try to let women know that as well. Like whenever you're ready, feel free that you want to come out and be public. Don't feel like you have to do it like right when you were diagnosed or because you feel pressured to do it. Absolutely. And when you are, I think this, what happens sometimes is people are diagnosed and they right away they're sharing publicly. And that's, if that works for you, I think that's great. But now you're Mm -hmm. inviting all of these opinions and all of these right. things in before you've even yourself had a chance to process it. Right. Right. And exactly. I think it has to impact healing in, in some way. Right. Because you're always going to get the people who are going to be throwing, you know, all of the natural supplements and Dr. Sebi at you. <laughs> you're going to get that for sure. Um, you're going to get the other people who are like, Oh, well, my aunt was diagnosed and you know, it's just all kinds of things. And then you, you're going to get the people who are just, who are cheering you on. So it is, it's a whole gamut and a whole ball, but yeah, you just have to be mentally prepared for that. Yeah. Cause then a lot of times when people say those things, they're reacting about something about themselves. You know, a lot right. of times when you have that negative advice is, you know, people get told it's cause you drank a diet soda or you had hamburgers and it's because <laughs> and I always tell people it has nothing to do with that number one, but it's because this person is like, Oh, well, I didn't do this. So because I mm-hmm. didn't do this, I'm not going to get cancer. Right. Yeah. I was literally in the best shape of my life when I was diagnosed and looking back on it now, I think it was just God and the universe preparing me for what was to come. I had lost about 40 pounds. Like I was working out all the time. Like I said, I was in the best shape of my life. And I think if I was 40 or 50 pounds heavier and then diagnosed, you know, it may have been a little bit hard for me to go through treatment, not to say I wouldn't still be in the same place I'm in right now, but I think just health wise, it would have been a whole lot, you know, harder for me. Yeah, no, and that's true. I get a lot of people who say, well, I, how did this happen? I'm in great shape. And ultimately that does not make a difference. You can still get diagnosed, but I think it does help you tolerate treatment a little bit better. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I definitely would say that. I (laughs) I was so much, so like so much of a rebellion. I remember after chemo, I tried to go to the gym and work out (laughs) and I was taking like a, what they call body works class where it's Mm -hmm. like cardio and weights. I was like, oh no, I'm determined. Like cancer's not going to stop me from doing this. And like 15 minutes in the class, I felt like I was going to pass out. I was like, okay, no, just yeah. go home and <laughs> go lay down. But sometimes you have to learn that for, you know, you have to do it right until you're right. You're, you can be told, but until you do it and see that it works or it doesn't work, you don't know. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Now, how did for the rest of us start? Um, so for the rest of us started, it started with myself um, and the other co-founder, Jasmine Sowers. Uh, we had met each other at the Young Survival Coalition um, in Austin, Texas in March of 2019. Um, we knew of each other from Instagram. We followed each other. Um, you know, when I was diagnosed, I think that's when more people being on social media and talking about their diagnosis was just starting to ramp up. And so a lot of us within the breast cancer community just started following each other, you know, 
um, just because that's the only way that you could connect. And I think that is one of the beauties about social media. It's like, you don't have to live close to somebody to connect with them and have the same experience. So um, Jasmine and I, we followed each other on Instagram, knew of each other. I seen she had posted that she was trying to get more uh, black women to um, go to the the summit. And I had messaged her and said, Hey, I'm actually going this year. Cause I had seen the year before a lot of the people who were my friends mm-hmm. had went and, you know, I had a little bit of FOMO. And so I was like, <laughs> well, I don't care. I'm going this year. So she said that she was going. And so I messaged her and said, Hey, I'm going to, we should definitely connect. And she said, okay. Um, so we ended up, um, connecting at the summit and, um, we just started talking about some of the ideas and about how, like, we knew that there were a lot of black and brown women who were being di- diagnosed with breast cancer, but we were like, there's no like group or platform for them. Like we can definitely find them on social media. Um, but like, where do they go? And um, so her and I just started talking and then we just came up with the idea of let's start like a blog site where women can like share their experiences and stories about breast cancer. And um so that was May of 2000, or excuse me, March of 2019, when her and I had met. And then we launched for the rest of us in May of 2019. So about two months later. It was fast. And I mean, that's, yeah, it was. that was fast. A lot of people, <laughs> I think, have ideas for months. That's awesome. Yeah. I remember before um, when she was leaving, I was like, okay, well, don't forget, like, make sure that we stay in touch. And we did. We stayed in touch. And you know, just hit the ground running. And so, yeah. And so we launched in May of 2019 with, I want to say um, about 50 stories from women. We just started contacting the different women that we knew um, and asking them if they could write their experience. Like we knew some people's stories. Like we knew there's this young woman named Tiffany who was diagnosed around the same time that Jasmine and I were, who was diagnosed when she was pregnant. So we asked her to write about her story. Um, there was a lot of different stories. And then some women, like we were putting out calls saying like, we're getting ready to launch, you know, and women just started submitting their stories. And so, yeah, it just took off from there. And it started first as a blog page. Blog site, right. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, you know, after kind of it took off and people started hearing about it, did you still have to solicit stories or kind of were they, you know, were they really just coming in unsolicited? Um, we did have to solicit some, some came in, um, but it wasn't, you know, a lot as it was when we first had launched Mm -hmm. and, you know, and sometimes, you know, we would have different topics and then reach out to people and, you know, now it's just, it, you know, it's more than just a blog site. It's continued to grow and it keeps growing. Um, you know, like I said, we have the private Facebook group, um, and it's specifically for women of color who have been diagnosed with breast cancer. It's, um, a safe space for them where they can ask questions, you know, connect with other women um, share maybe any type of clinical trials or research studies that they hear that are, that are coming up. And so that's a good space to have for them. Um, we also have ambassadors now. Um, and so those are just advocates, you know, breast cancer survivors and thrivers who are advocating in their own local communities. Um, and they may go to speaking events or virtually speaking events and, um, just giving them the tools so they can, advocate and then share that information with other women that they may know as well. Um, I mean, that's really amazing to see it. Did you ever, you know, kind of imagine that when you started it, that it would become this? No, (laughs) not at all. You know, I just, you know, thought that it would just be a blog site and, you know, people would submit like either their blogs or blogs and their experiences, but I didn't think that it would grow 
to be this. Um, but what I've heard from a lot of the women in the community is how much they needed it, which, you know, it's funny to say now because it's like, of course, I should have known that a lot of women needed it because it's something that I wish that I had when I was diagnosed, just having a community of people who were, you know, like you that you could relate to. And you have a podcast, right? We do. Yes. <laughs> yes you have a podcast, you have the ambassadors kind of walk me through mm-hmm. what the whole thing looks like right now. Yeah, so we have, we're still doing blogs on the site. Um, We just launched a podcast this year called Batty to Batty and Batty Behavior. Um, Talking about different topics, you know, wellness, mental wellness um, for the month of May, because it's um, Mental Health Awareness Month. We'll be talking about that. And then also motherhood and parenting. Uh, This month it was survivorship. And, you know, it's just an open forum where women can just be talking, you know, freely about their experience about these certain topics. And, um, sorry, my dog nephew just came out (laughs) (laughs) where they could just be talking about their experiences and, you know, just freely and openly. And it's a great platform. We've heard from a lot of women who have listened to it so far. Um, and they're just like, Oh my God, like, I didn't know that there were women out here who were experiencing this. Like February was of course about, um, intimacy um, and sexual health. And we had, um, a sexologist on and she gave some great tips and, you know, more so not necessarily like sex tips, but just women being more intimate with themselves and, you know, connecting with themselves more so than that way they could, you know, experience intimacy from a different, you know, level, you know, especially as breast cancer survivors, we have a whole different gamut when it comes to that, especially when you're being thrown into, you know, menopause, medical induced menopause. And so there were a lot of women who like loved that episode. And so the good thing about podcasts, which I'm sure that, you know, it's like anybody can listen at any time. Um, They don't have to like go online at a certain time to watch a video. They could just pop it in if they're working or they're cleaning and, you know, listen and connect with people. Yeah. I think that the nice thing about podcasts and having the blogs and having stories that a lot of people feel maybe feel vulnerable, you know, really being on a support group or being on a community and posting unless you keep it anonymous. Right. So I think this allowed these stories and the more of them that they are, there are out there, the more that people can find something that resonates with them, that relates right. with them. Do you have like a directory where you like match people up or how does that work? Um, we do have a directory. It's not as um, active, but women can get on there. It's um, our baddie directory. And so women can submit as much information as they want on there or as little. Um, anybody can go and look at it, you know, especially for like physicians and clinicians. I kind of encourage them to do that because women can put in there like their diagnosis. Uh, when they were diagnosed, they can put in their race if they want to and how they could be contacted. And it's, you know, to me, it's a really great platform because I get a lot of people who reach out to me and say, oh, you know, I need a Hispanic woman, you know, who's been diagnosed with triple negative. And a lot of times I can think of them right off the top of my head, but I come in contact with so many women. It's really hard for me um, to remember that. So it's, it is a good platform and a place for people to go. I think that's really helpful that it can be used for providers and clinicians, you know, cause sometimes, I mean, I always try to help people set up a buddy, but sometimes I don't maybe, you know, don't always have somebody that's the right, um, right. You know, they have kids or they don't have kids the right age and things like that. So I think it's helped. That's really a great, great resource for people. Mm-hmm, exactly. 
Now you guys have done some awesome photo shoots with the ambassadors and like really yes. promoting body image. And um, can you talk a little bit about that? What that's been like? Sure. So we actually done two. The first project that we done is called the Naked Truth Project, which we released in um, uh, BCAM, so Breast Cancer Awareness Month in 2020. I'm trying to think. I feel like the years are just Yeah. So the Naked Truth Project was just a project where we wanted uh, women to talk about how they were embracing their bodies um, post diagnosis. And, you know, wanting to freely show their scars and who they were and then just let people know, like, you know, I'm okay in my body and, you know, it doesn't matter whether you're okay with it or not, but I feel okay about it. And then just empowering women. So that was a really great project that we did. We actually have a book that came out of that, with, which features uh, pictures of survivors and thrivers, um, whatever type of picture that they wanted to submit regarding their body or their scars. So we made that into a book. And then in that book, I think there's a couple of blogs in there as well. We had a couple of women write uh, blogs. And the great thing about that is Mentor actually bought several hundred copies of that book and they distributed it to um, breast surgeon offices around the country. Wow. And so women can actually go into their breast surgeon office and they can see that book. It's just like, you know, like they have magazines there. So which is pretty dope. We've had some women post it on social media and tag us in it saying, oh, look what I've seen in my, you know, breast surgeon's office. And, you know, for me, it's really enlightening and dope to see because then that means like other black and brown women, when they go into these offices, they see pictures that look like them because a lot of times they don't. And it's like, oh, okay, well, this is like something like, okay, something that I can relate to and look at. Yeah. I mean, I, I had a couple of year or two ago, I had Shoni Brown on the podcast. And, uh -huh. um, and what she had said to me was, you know, she was Googling pictures of right. me, she couldn't find any that looked like her, you know, what would right. it look like in a black woman? And I don't know, I was really caught off guard by that. I just, I just assumed that right. there would be pictures. Um, right. right. And, you know, it was just, I think that just shows the little biases that are hidden everywhere. Mm -hmm. Um, so it's really amazing to that you have this resource that is out there for people. Can they, can people easily buy it if they want it? Yep. It's, it's still on our website at breastofus.com. They can easily buy it for themselves or, you know, for somebody else that they know that they would like to. Um, it's a great book. Um, even with all of the pictures that the women have, they did a quote basically saying what their body means to them post-diagnosis. So it's really, you know, uplifting and it, um, it's just empowering just to see as well. Yeah. To know that, you know, when you're in the trenches, when things are really, really hard, that you have this group of powerful women that are, that are proud of their bodies. Right. 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 And so, you know, it also just, you know, it's kind of cliche to say, but it definitely gives other women hope as yeah. to whatever they're going through, whatever part of their journey that they're on. And to know that, you know, me, it's not going to look the same. It's going to look different. It's not going to be mm -hmm. what it was, but there, there is light. Right. Yeah. And I can embrace my body, you know, just the same as I did before my diagnosis. Mm -hmm. And then so we did that project. Yeah. yeah. And then the second one, um, which we launched last summer was uh, the When You See Us campaign. And that was the photo shoot that we did with our ambassadors. And um, that was another um, uplifting photo shoot that we had where a lot of these women who have never been like 
topless or show their scars before, um, especially some of the women who have flat closures, which we call flatty baddies, um, them just showing themselves and being proud of who they are. You know, it was really emotional for a lot of them because they've never done that before or they had just recently, you know, within the last year or two been diagnosed and just coming out and showing who they are and how proud of it. And so the When You See Us campaign, which is a campaign to show to the world of like, you know, there are black and black and brown survivors out here um, and we're out here and we want you to see us and we're so much more than our diagnosis, but we want to make sure that you see us. And so that's where that campaign come, came from. You know, I'm curious, there was a time where like Instagram was censoring a lot of breast photos, a lot of, mm-hmm. you know, people being topless. Did that ever, you know, when you started sharing the campaigns, did that ever come up any like censoring or anything? Not the when you see us campaign, but when we did the Naked Truth Project during Breast Cancer Awareness Month, yeah, we were noticing that um, <laughs> Instagram was shadow banning us. Um, and then a lot of the, um, like a lot of our posts, they were just taking down really quick too. And so, yeah, so then I had ended up making a post and tagging them and just saying like, no, this isn't okay. And so a lot of people got on board and started saying the same thing and tagging them as well. And they ended up reaching out to us and said like, they apologize. They were going to look into it. Cause you know, they have a clause in there that says, you know, when it comes to nudity, if it has to do with like mastectomy or any type of, you know, breast cancer, they won't take those down, but you know, it's all a bot and so algorithm. So if they just see it, then yeah. But I'm at least, I mean, I'm impressed that they at least reached out and, you know, connected and. Yeah, I think it's just the power of social media, because once I had posted it and then tagged them and then people had seen what was going on, then they started reposting and tagging them. And, you know, the one good thing about social media from that aspect. Yeah, you can definitely get things to go. But, you know, I think it's important. I think it's important to take a stand against that and say that we need to show these photos and social media is the best place to disseminate information quickly. It is. It is. It definitely is. Especially like Twitter. I know a lot of people don't like Twitter, but it's, Twitter to me reminds me of like the CNN newsreel because it just goes by, but you find out so many things so quickly on there than you do anywhere else. Yeah. Cause you're not like scrolling through photos and you know, it's, it's a much different, it's a very different platform, but I think has its, you know, certainly has a lot of benefits in its own, in its own way. Um, You know, so besides, besides women feeling like they're part of the black and brown community, feeling that, um, you know, there's people who look like them and people who have their same, you know, similar stories. What are you, are you talking about, you know, what are some of the key issues that come up? Um, well, I mean, like this year, you know, like this month, we're talking about survivorship, which I know has been a big one. I know it's once we started talking about that, um, a lot of other people and advocates in the community started picking up on that, talking about it too, just because I think survivorship encompassing, encompasses everybody, whether you're newly diagnosed, um, you're early stage metastatic, um, you know, it's just navigating those different waters. So you know, a lot of women have questions regarding that of like, you know, what am I supposed to do now? Where do I go? And so just those type of things. Um, you know, one of the other big topics that we talked about late last year that we're definitely going to talk about again, that we're um, realizing from women is like about career and then their, their cancer diagnosis, like how to navigate that. Mm-hmm. Um, when it comes to like, how much do you tell your employer? What do you have to tell your employer? Like, how much time can I take off? So a lot of women have questions regarding that as well. And then I think just 
you know, in the grand scheme of things, just them advocating for themselves and, you know, learning like the basics of like, you know, it's okay to get a second opinion. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, it's okay to like fire your doctor and go see somebody else. It's, you don't have to have all your doctors in one centralized place. I think a lot of people think that it's like, oh, well, if I go to this big healthcare system, then I have to stay there. And it's like, no, you can have doctors all over. What's next for you guys? Well, we are actually, I'm in the midst of planning our next retreat. We'll be doing that in about two weeks. Uh, we always do it around um, the anniversary of For the Rest of Us. So we'll be back in Orlando again. Um, we'll be doing some, you know, learning with each other, some fellowship, and then, you know, definitely just relaxing and letting our hair down. Um, you know, advocacy work, um, advocacy burnout is definitely real. And, um, you know, I just want, the women to realize, like, thank them for all the work that they're doing. But then also like, you don't have to do this 24 seven, it's okay to just relax and have a good time. So we're planning that. Um, It's our third year anniversary. So really excited for that. And it'll be just our ambassadors at the retreat. But the last day of the retreat, we'll be inviting um, women from the community to come in and to the house and help us celebrate. So excited to meet some of the women and connect with them. So that is the big thing that we're doing. And then just ramping up the podcast and getting more um, listeners to the podcast and more guests on there. That's wonderful. I think what a great idea for the retreat and just to have people now, did you do it in person last year? We did. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And just with our ambassadors. Yeah. Yeah. And the theme of the retreat this year um, is we lift as we climb. And it's just a reminder to everybody that, you know, as we continue to lift or you continue to learn to make sure that you're lifting up the women um, who come after you or come behind you to make sure that they have the same resources and et cetera that you had or that you wished you had as you were moving along. That's wonderful. Tell me about advocacy burnout. And I haven't heard that term before, but obviously it makes sense. Um, Right. What are some, what are some symptoms of advocacy burnout? And then what are some tips to maybe, you know, take care of it or combat it? I think it kind of goes along the same lines of, you know, being on social media a lot and just seeing a lot there. I think Mm -hmm. advocacy burnout definitely, it's like, you know, putting too much in your plate. So like you have to do like all of these different things. Like I have to be at this conference or I have to be at this talk and you know, are having people like I have a lot of people who contact me and are just like, you know, oh, can you be a part of this? Can you be a part of that? And then just realizing that it's okay to say no, um, or postpone it for a later time and not feel like that you have to do it right then and there. Um, I think we just get caught up in the thing of like, you know, we have to do it, we have to be a part of it. And we have to do this to help other people where it's like, but if you're helping other people all the time, then you can't help yourself. You're going to get burnt out and that perspective. And a lot of us have full-time jobs besides doing this. So, you know, you're almost burning the candle at, you know, two ends. And so just making sure that you take care of yourself. If you need to disengage from social media, like that's okay. Um, Just saying no, not taking too much um, on your plate. Like Sundays for me is like my day. Everybody knows, all my ambassadors know, like, unless somebody's dying, there's no reason for you to contact me. Like that is just my day to you know, just relax and, you know, kind of a family day and have time to myself. And I, I think setting aside that time and doing those boundaries is something that people need to do. No, I agree. I mean, as you grow in social media, you know, the DMs get cluttered and busy and, Mm -hmm. and I think it's hard to sometimes take a step back from that, but I like the the day, like the complete, I am not reachable. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) 
Uh, Marissa, before we wrap up, is there anything that we didn't talk about or anything that you want to share? Um, I would just say, you know, if there are any, you know, black and brown women who are listening to your podcast or, you know, if you know somebody, definitely let them know about for the rest of us. Um, we're always accepting stories. So if they want to submit their story, whether that be a blog or a vlog, or if they want to be a guest on our podcast, that we're definitely open to that. But also just sharing any of the content that we have is great because the one thing that I'm finding out is that a lot of women who have been diagnosed or they know somebody that's been diagnosed still don't know about for the rest of us. And just that it's a great community to be a part of, no matter if you're just, you know, 100% involved or only 20% involved, just knowing that you have that resource there. And so you're for the rest of us on Instagram and just for everyone listening, share again, the website and the podcast. So the website is uh, breastofus.com. We're also on Facebook at for the breast of us. And then the private Facebook group, if you just search breast cancer baddies, you'll find the group there and you can request to join. And in the podcast, you can find that anywhere you listen to your favorite podcast. And that is just called, um, baddie to baddie. Love it. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to my conversation with Marissa for the breast of us is such an incredible organization and they have built a tremendous community in the online space and in person as well. I highly recommend checking out their when you see us and the naked truth campaigns. This I think is such a representation of what for the breast of us is they, these campaigns are raw, they're honest, they're vulnerable. Their stories, their narratives are so powerful. You can connect with For the Rest of Us on their website, which is breastofus.com, on their podcast, Batty to Batty, or on Instagram at For the Breast of Us. As always, you can find me on social media at Dr. Duplinski on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook. If you enjoy the podcast, like listening to it, I am always so grateful if you could take a minute to leave a rating and or review for the podcast on Apple Podcasts, iTunes, and Spotify, as that is really the best way to help me bring the show to new listeners and continue to grow it. Have a great weekend, and I will talk to all of you soon. 